all the advice that was given to me and all the conversations that I've had with like city officials or counselors has said, prepare for a rough couple of years. So I think they want to try it for a few years and maybe down the road, maybe down the road, we'll have an opportunity. Welcome to The Flow, real estate and money show, a show focused on helping Canadians understand the different elements of real estate, mortgage, and finance. The goal of our show is to provide Canadians with the tools, information, and knowledge to have more success when it comes to their investing and real estate related decisions going forward. My name is Alex McFadden and I'm your host. I can't wait to get you into the flow. Well, the sag of short-term rentals just never ends, does it? Well, for that reason, we are having Dina come back on the podcast. Dina Steele joined us a few months ago when all the short-term rental rules came into effect and helped us to understand what was going to happen in BC real estate. Well, we had her at the time, also Amanda Vanderly join us, and Dina's come back to talk a little bit about what's changed for short-term rentals, specifically in the Okanagan of British Columbia, and this might be the same in other areas of British Columbia. And honestly, over time, it could impact the rest of Canada with how things are changing in the short-term market. You're not going to want to miss this episode because Dina breaks down specifically what's happened in the short-term market, what's been going on, what could happen going forward, and what people are doing about it. Now, I hope you're enjoying this episode. And if you're liking the podcast, do us one favor. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a ratings if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify. And of course, share it with a friend so someone else can benefit from this valuable information. Hope you enjoy the show. Here we go. Back on the show again. I've got my good friend Tina. She is, well, an expert in everything short-term rentals, but not only is she an expert in everything to do with short, short-term rentals, I found out today she looks like Mr. T when she comes out of the water. <laughs> out of the water. You didn't think I was going to talk about that, did you? No, I'm just bugging. I'm just bugging. Dina, join us for an episode of the podcast back in October when all these short-term rental rules were announced and had a lot of great insights. And well, it's been three months and there's been some announcements some changes and a lot mm-hmm. of stuff going on and mm-hmm. you know we're getting closer and closer to the time of the year when people are booking their summer vacations and so we thought it'd be a great time to come back on and talk a little bit about what's happened what's changed what's going on particularly as it relates to short-term rentals in bc and the okanagan because there's a lot of folks that are really just hinging on what's happening what's going on so well first of all Dina, i'm sorry about that and welcome back to the show thanks for having me i'm uh stoked to be here because honestly a lot of people there's still a lot of confusion out there and it'd be great to clear it up get everyone on the same page and guests included because i don't think everyone truly understands how their holidays may be impacted so Oh, yes, that's a great point. That's a great point. Well, you know, I think it's best served, Dina, if we start a conversation here today, just to do a little recap on what these rules are talking on, because there's going to be some people that are listening to this episode that vaguely remember that it's almost like a distant memory. And if they haven't tried to book an Airbnb, or if they haven't thought about it, they don't have their own, they're they're not really thinking about what are the rule changes. So would you do me the honor of giving us just a quick little recap on what a few of the changes were that were announced just back in in October of 2023. Mm-hmm. So within a 10-day period from the announcement, the province created a short-term accommodations act for British Columbia province-wide that applies to every municipality, regional district that's over that has a population over 10,000 people. So this affects any short-term rental where their primary use of the property 
was offered as a full-time short-term rental or could be, which means that anyone who has a principal residence, which is the home that they live in, they would be allowed to use their principal residence as a short-term rental, as a secondary use. So that was a challenge. And then they also removed any basically grandfathering rights that some cities have like Vancouver, Victoria and Kelowna for legal non-conforming use to allow us particular properties to be used as short-term rentals full-time. So irregardless of the zoning that your city had provided you, the province has said that that does not apply. So if you had a building that you purchased in that was full-time short-term rental approved by your city, the province has said that no longer matters. Only if it's your principal residence that you live in most of the year, you are allowed to offer it short term for they have not defined however many days that looks like. But yeah, it's pretty it's it's it was pretty harsh. <laughs> yeah, abso- absolutely. And I mean, even the fact that before we were you know, filming the episode today, I even had to ask you some questions for clarifications mm-hmm. around certain areas, which we'll talk about today as we kind of move forward into this. I mean, so really, the only people who can continue offering short term rentals as defined by the province are those who actually live and operate it out of their principal residence, such as maybe their a room in their house or basement suite or something of that nature. But again, not defining how many days so at this point right now relatively open-ended for those people not really any rules or restrictions as long as you have it Uh, aside a question on that or do those people require to have a license to to be able to offer a short term so they do have to have a license okay so basically there's two numbers depending on your municipality if your municipality already regulates short-term rentals and requires a business license you would need to have your local license but everyone who's looking to operate a short-term rental will require a provincial registration number Um, so for instance, in Kelowna, you would have to have your city business license and register with the province. So you'd have to qualify with the province as well to make sure that they, you know what, it's probably just a registry and it's probably self-assessed that you say it's your principal residence. Again, that hasn't been defined because we haven't seen the application process yet, but in a community like at this time of publication, Peachland doesn't have a license, a licensing regulation there and they're under 10,000. So they are requesting to be to opt in to the provincial legislation, which is unfortunate because that community really doesn't have hotel accommodations. And now they're looking to banish short term rentals as well. But you wouldn't need a, a business license, you would just need the provincial registration number at this time. So well, and that that just you just kind of hit the nail right away on another thing which I want to stop on for a quick second is which is any town or city that is as you mentioned is a population of less than ten thousand does not have to follow these rules unless they quote unquote opt in. What is that opt in? Do you know what that opt in uh, process is? Can can the city fight it? Do the residents have any choice? What does that look like? The it's up to city council, and I think you can actually opt in at any time of the year, but. At this point, there is, I know for the request to apply for an exemption, the deadline is February 28th for this coming season. The opt-in process is probably just a vote with council, and I'm assuming they would have to have a town hall or a city hall. I don't know the local government laws on that, but what the exemption process is, each city, so what's happening here in Kelowna, 
we are going to present a list of properties. So city staff will present a list of properties for council to consider. A council has to meet and discuss the reasons why they might want to present this. Then they either ask city staff to adapt the list, come back for approval, or say, yes, we, in- we love this list, send it off to the province, along with a housing needs assessment report, which is not just a simple, you know, it's a, quite a package they have to provide to the province, as well as the consideration of vacancy rates. So a healthy vacancy rate in a community is considered under the province's eyes as 3% or more. Kelowna has not reached 3% vacancy rate since 2012, unfortunately, whereas West Kelowna currently has a vacancy rate of 3%, but the province wants two consecutive years of a vacancy rate at 3% or more to consider an exemption. So that's another factor on top of this housing needs assessment report that, or the housing report that has to be submitted. So West Kelowna has 3%, whereas Kelowna is sitting at, I think, about 1.6 or 1.9 the last time I checked. Hopefully, I would love to see the CMHC report on Monday. There's no official date, but I'm assuming it'll probably be Monday. It's usually around this time of year we see the vacancy rates across Canada which are reported annually. So we'll see if Mm. West Kelowna comes in at 3% because that would be two consecutive years. So they would have the opportunity to ask the province for an exemption under that one criteria. And has West Kelowna in your experience so far taken a little bit of a different stance when compared to Kelowna, Kelowna? <laughs> Maybe um, not. Fortunately, the the city council meeting, I think it was back in December, maybe November, December flew by. There was not, it was not a warm reception for short-term rentals. Unfortunately, the discussion that they had, the open discussion, they were going to speak on the topic again this month, but they've deferred, not deferred, delayed the agenda item for another four weeks just due to time constraints. Mm. So they, (laughs) what I really feel from all the language that I'm hearing from the minister, from the premier, from the counselors here is they really want to give this a try. They want to give Mm. it some time and see if there's any impact. So honestly, I don't know if someone like, or a city like West Kelowna could qualify under that one criteria if they'd be interested in applying immediately or giving it some time as well to see if these provincial changes impact the Mm. the affordability crisis that they're trying to solve. So that uh, absolutely. And so that's, it, it's quite interesting to know. And what we'll, we'll, uh, we'll pause on the, the converse, conversation on Kelowna in a quick second here. But it's quite interesting to note that West Kelowna as a whole seems to have taken a slightly more lenient resolve as far as just what types of properties they're allowing to use as short term rentals or secondary use. In fact, allowing not just single family, but also duplexes to get to allow people to get more licenses. On a different note, and I don't know how close you are tied into this particular city, but not far away. Penticton, at least as of the last month or two, had been taking a very different stance. Now, they they should technically or would technically fall into part of this uh, legislation, but they had publicly stated uh, that they're actually interested in trying to keep short-term rentals part of their rental pool for tourism, specifically. Mm-hmm. Like they stated, specific, I'm trying to find the actual article on this, but they did state that they were looking to keep it in there and, and that was something that would be valuable to them. Have you heard anything about at all about Penticton's approach yet? 
Yes. Well, they've always been very, you know, forward. They were one of the first municipalities in like the decade that I've been operating that's been really open to it and licensing the properties. So, and I think it is crucial, you know, they don't have a ton of accommodations yet. They are very much more tourist driven and resort destination than we are. If, if I were to say that this, that town is, is made for holiday. So, Mm. but I have not reviewed because it's a market I don't operate in. I'm not sure what their vacancy rate is. So would they even meet the criteria or can they come up with a strong enough argument alongside this housing assessment report that they would have to submit? Would that be significant enough to kind of ignore the vacancy rate? Like there is a lot of development there, but I think there's it's, is it fast enough to get that vacancy rate up there? And that's a fair question, and actually a, a good good question as well. I I was able to kind of glean this through. I don't I don't have it uh, verified, but this I found an article that stated that Penticton's rental vacancy rate is around one point two percent, so less than the three percent required. But council argued essentially that short term rentals are are essential to their tourism industry. Now, uh, again, as it stands right now, they're they're going to go into effect on May first unless something happens otherwise. But it's just interesting to note that they're taking a very different stance, which leads me back to. To Kelowna. So again, one of the reasons that we're reconnecting is just recently, I don't want to date this too much, but in the last week or so, mm-hmm. Kelowna came out very, very, very heavy footed in regards to not just short term rentals, but all short term rentals. Do you want to share a little bit about what some of the findings are or of that conversation and, and what you heard? Yeah. So basically, back in July, city staff presented some or it was an open conversation about some recommendations on some amendments for our local bylaws. So previously we were, obviously we've have our approved buildings that are legal non-conforming that can allow short-term rentals 365 days of the year. And then we have about 498 or 97 uh, principal residence licenses, which are mostly single family homes from the data that I've scraped from the website, 72 of those were condos and the rest were, were homes. So those were allowed to operate. Now the it's gone through second and third reading. So it's on its way to its fourth and official reading to become an official amendment to the bylaw. They have said in Kelowna that alongside the provincial regulations, they would like to add additional restrictions. So they have removed the primary use of a short-term rental, which means you can have a short-term rental 365 days of the year from every zone in the city. So no zone in the city will be permitted to offer a short-term rental ever. See that, that's, that to me, like right away is mind blowing for so many reasons, (laughs) notwithstanding the fact that prior to Airbnb being a thing, you know, we had some of the towers. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember the ones. What's the one downtown called? The big one? Uh, there's Discovery Bay and Sunset Waterfront Resort, downtown on the waterfront, mm-hmm. both fully mm-hmm. built as vacation rentals. 17 and those years have been ago. around since early nine, 90s or? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Been around a long time, early yeah, 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They've been around for a long time, far before Airbnb was a thing, short-term rental accommodations. And and as far as I can remember, honestly, being in the real estate market, those were always short-term rental allowed yeah, buildings. Play it all soul. You've got accommodations on the other side of the water in West Kelowna, like Gelatly. Mm-hmm. 
and, and, and a Barona Beach, I believe, if that's right. And those are basically like those. And, and for those who aren't familiar with this, these some of these resorts like Jalali and Barona are basically built as tourism accommodations. You know, people mm-hmm. bought them, lived, used them themselves for their own families and then rented them out to other families, which served a great purpose. And the interesting thing to my note on, on those types of properties is, I mean, they're not really in the city per se, like they're on the lake. They're, they're, they look like a like a hotel type of accommodation sort of situation. But the owners have the ability to stay if they choose to do so as well. So, I mean, like, it's just a wow to me, uh, a big thing. And I'm just sitting here scratching my head even more so than when we spoke back in October, thinking to myself, where are all these vacationers going to go and what the heck is going to happen to the values? So, so mm-hmm. what what were the initial, I mean, uh, perhaps give me a little bit insight into what your thoughts were when you heard this, first of all. Well, when we initially heard that they were looking to remove it from all zones, there wasn't that light bulb moment that we had until we reviewed the agenda early January because it was finally described as what that truly meant. So of the 1,200 act, we have 2,400 approximately, whether they're licensed or not, active rentals in just the Kelowna area operating. 1,200 of those are licensed in the city of Kelowna. And so 498 of these properties are licensed as principal residents. And um, so they've got the allowance that would work under the province's eyes. So the city said, we're going to remove these from all zones, but we'll allow these 498 licenses to be grandfathered because they fit within the principal residence usage that the province is allowing. And we've already given you these licenses, but you will have to apply or you will have to register with the province to prove that this is your principal residence. So none of us realized a lot of people were scheming like, oh, well, I'll just claim my property now then as a principal use. But because they've removed it from the zoning, that means you cannot apply for a new license. So that number of 498 can only go down. So if these properties sell, the license is not transferable. If you move, you can't take that license with you to another property. And if you buy a property and it is your principal residence and you do want to offer it a short-term rental, you cannot get a license because this would be a new application in a zone that does not allow short-term rentals because the entire city does not have a zone that allows short-term rentals. So that was that aha moment we were like i'm sorry you mean we can't apply for new licenses in this space so clona has effectively said no more short-term rentals you can have the 498 that would qualify under the uh, provincial registration and that's it wow crazy so i I, like i think first of all two planes two planes landing in Kelowna. yeah it's a wild (laughs) Well, I consider it. I mean, so, I mean, Kelowna, we obviously know is a high uh, tourism destination specifically for anyone in the Western Canada, uh, even people in Eastern Canada who make their way over for vacation. So we can see why short-term rentals have been a big thing here. And yes, in the last couple of years, we saw a monstrous, a monstrous explosion with Brooklyn and a few others of short-term rentals and so forth. So like, no doubt there was going to be some backlash at that point. But, you know, uh, not only has BC taken a stance, We've seen the federal minister, Chris 
Christina Freeland or whatever her name is, mm-hmm. going coming in hard on on everything short term rentals, taking away the ability to claim income taxes as expenses on these prop or sorry the expenses for your income taxes on these properties. Mm-hmm. It just seems like it's an absolute onslaught here. But I guess my question is like, is there any conversation from anyone in, uh, who are making these decisions, whether it's in the council or the mayor or anything? Is there any conversation about what they're going to do about, about tourism or placing people? Has anybody come up and said, hey, we think we're going to do, we're going to build more hotels or like, what is the plan? Where are people going to go? Right. So that is definitely not their primary concern. And I will play devil's advocate a little bit here. So, and, and from my lens too, of being short-term rental operator, we had an oversaturation currently you know, we had probably twice as many short-term rentals as we should have. So we had some affordable places for people to say, stay. There was a lot of panic pricing, but I think with the economic slowdown, we just did not get the volume. We had the people coming, they were coming for shorter stays, but they weren't spending enough. So we're seeing, you know, BC wide, they're saying about 50% of our restaurants are in the red. We've seen some you know, an institutional restaurant here shut down. Shocking news. We had another one closed just around the same time. Like you know, speaking with a lot of my partners, even just like the higher end home decor stores or all a lot of service providers here said this year has been really rough. So I don't know if the lack of accommodations is really going to show, prove that this is impacting tourism this year anyways, just because it was just a rough year this past season. So that wasn't a topic. No, everyone's really concerned about affordable housing. Unfortunately, really sweet counselor, Luke Stack, he has been involved in low-income housing. Uh, I can't remember the organization that he worked for for 33 years. He still volunteers and consults in that space. So he's very experienced. He knows. He said, you know, I don't know if preventing these current units from operating a short-term rental will make an impact on affordable housing. But I know that no longer can investors come in and buy these properties. Like no new properties will go on with the intention of short-term rentals. Anyone who's buying now, if they're an investor, they're looking at long-term rental or to speculate and hold. So that's kind of the the sentiment and another counselor said, you know, in the latest meeting, like we have to give this a try, just give it some time. Yeah. So I thought there's no way, even if, even when city staff come back with, um, they are considering a list. So, because we do have about 15 addresses that were intentionally built as short-term rentals, they said, mm-hmm. come back with the list. Um, and yes, we'll consider it then it's ultimately up to the province. So it's kind of like the cities get out of jail free card because I don't think, I just don't think the province is going to be like, yeah, sure. Let's renege on exactly what, what we just did. And yeah, we'll allow you Kelowna, you know, who's already suffering with affordable housing and a low vacancy rate to have these back. So all the advice that was given to me and all the conversations that I've had with like city officials or counselors has said, prepare for a rough couple of years. So I think they want to try it for a few years and maybe down the road, I don't think we'll ever see a 3% vacancy rate just because Kelowna is so desirable, but maybe down the road we'll have an opportunity. That puts a lot of people in a big pickle because of these new developments that are set to close, um, to complete, you know, fall 2024. These buildings have been planned, like 
These have been on the books with City of Kelowna. We've been talking about them since like 2017, 2018, you know, buildings like Brooklyn and Aqua. And now they're finally, these were the last buildings too, the final ones that had permission to operate a short-term rentals. And now they'll be completing this fall. And we have probably 300, a little over 300 owners scrambling, looking like, what are we going to do? Not to mention right. the, the Aquas Towers 2 and 3, which are set to close or complete 25, 2025 and 2026. Like, it's crazy. It's, so to clarify for our, our audience, these towers uh, that were built and started being sold in 2022, is that right? Uh, or 2021? 2021, I think, yeah. 2021. And we've got a few others that have come up. These were all brand new built, uh, units that were being sold and marketed as short-term rental capable. So when these properties were, and I don't know how familiar we're with the pricing, but I have a general idea. When these were sold, they were being sold at a premium, essentially stating that, you know, we have proof that uh, we these buildings have sold for more. Here's the numbers. Here's the performance. I mean, I, I do recall that I didn't buy any or have any clients buy any in those particular units, but uh, no doubt that they were being sold at like almost as much as a hundred or hundred fifty thousand dollar premium when compared to other units, is that right? Way more. I feel like way more. more. Because I was shopping at the same time, and honestly, I remember exactly where I was when I remember Aqua's doors open because my phone's blowing up. People are like, "I got one," or "I'm in," or. <laughs> and so I'll just give you a few examples. So if you were to purchase around the same time, you know, in one of the older buildings on the waterfront, which we use as a comparable when telling people like what kind of income we think that this particular unit at Aqua could make, they were selling around six fifty. And at Aqua, you know, client that bought one of the juniors two bed two bath, I think it was about eight fifty in Tower Three, which is or sorry, Tower One, which is set back a little bit away from the lake. So at lake views, but it's just a little bit set back from there. So that one sold out in a heartbeat. And that one is the first one set to complete this fall, we think. So yeah, they, those were huge, huge premiums, great locations though. It's right by the hotel El Dorado, super sandy beach. It's in a commercial tourist was tourist zone area, but it's a high density area, fantastic location, premium building, you know, great developer. Um, I think they're still going to be worth owning, <laughs> but pair that with the current interest rates. I have a lot of people panicking. I, you know, they knew they weren't going to cash flow at the current price they purchased at. Now paired with the interest rates and now without the ability to supplement with short-term rentals, I can't imagine they'll even make 50% of what they owe as a long-term rental to cover what, even with 20% down, it sounds like some people are panicking on what to do when they close. Do you have an example of what a one bed or a two bed might have sold for or a range at all? So I know the two beds between 750 and 850 are the ones that I have on my desk. In Caban, I have a two bed, two bath, top floor, a million dollars. Not even, that wasn't a lake view. What would a rent a unit like? This is their beautiful units. Mm-hmm. Supposed to be beautiful. They're mm-hmm. right on the beach. They mm-hmm. the premium location. These type. What would these rent for long term for these people? Long term unfurnished. We're oh, we have got a lot on the market. Even though the vacancy rate's low, the vacancy rate's actually quite high. I have been watching prices drop month over month, and I would say you'd be lucky. You'd be lucky 
to get 3,500 probably. We're seeing the newer ones around 28. I just had a, an alert um, yesterday. Another one dropped down to 2,600. It's just been sitting there forever. These are brand new units. So Aqua will go for a premium for sure, but unfurnished, yeah. There's probably around 3,500 bucks. So yeah. given today's mortgage rates, you're, you're about $800 in the, in the red plus strata fees, property taxes. So about $1,500 underwater from that perspective. So I guess your the argument from the city and the province could be that actually it is working to open up and make rental uh, units more affordable for those who are looking to live long-term based on what you're mentioning, which is these potential properties renting for 2,600 instead of 3,000, this sort of range. Is that, is that true is that happening are we seeing that i don't think so we've had an oh we were we were saturated prior to these announcements yeah i think just things are so expensive there's not a lot of movement sometimes you know tenants will shop around a little bit every year there just hasn't been any movement because nobody wants to leave their sweet deal that they have for some of these newer more expensive units anyone incoming some I mean, everyone in my portfolio wants to explore the midterm market or the executive rental market because we're already fully furnished with these furniture packages. Being fully furnished actually kind of puts you at a disadvantage as a long-term rental. Not a lot of people are looking for fully furnished homes. We get a lot of requests from people saying like, can you unfurnish it for us? <laughs> like, hmm. Do you want to pay for the movers and the storage for all these, you know, all this furniture? But it actually puts you a little bit at a disadvantage, well, not a little bit, quite a bit at a disadvantage to have a fully furnished place for someone looking long-term. So let's, oh, that, I mean, that's really interesting first and foremost. And, you know, obviously, like you mentioned, it's kind of going to be a wait and see approach before we really know exactly how this is going to be. The next year will be really interesting um, to, to, to listen and learn and, and see how, to, you know, tourism is it impacted? Do we see less people coming? I mean, we are heading into a Canadian recession right now. So people are spending less money anyways on things like travel and, and mm -hmm. just ancillary considerations, like obviously mm -hmm. going out and eating out and, and shopping. So I think you combine the two of those together, it could mean a pretty low year from a tourism perspective, regardless for the Okanagan or, or exactly. in the Kelowna area. What are, I guess you, you, you've got your own set of clients. I mean, you run a short-term and furnished rental type of business. Mm -hmm. What are people talking about? What are they thinking of doing? What are you hearing people say that they're planning? Are they selling? Are they holding out hope? Are they going long-term? What is the conversation like right now? So the conversation in my group is, I mean, I have always worked with basically experienced real estate investors. Some of them have, you know, long-term rentals in other markets. So they have opportunity to hold out and wait, kind of wait and see. And then some of our properties, like one of our owners just bought a second property in a building that was approved for full-time short-term rental. And we were just about to execute about 75,000 in renovations to bring it up to be a little bit more competitive. And I said, you know what? I don't think that if you renovate this space and put it on the long-term market, it's going to be, it's, it's not going to, you know, give you many returns. So they've decided to not renovate it and put it on the, try the long-term. We'll see. I'll report back to you. This is the second client I've advised to go long-term for whatever reason prior to, you know, investing the money in the furniture package and the renovation. So he was unsuccessful. My, my, the first client, we attempted to rent his space for, it was 35. They dropped it down to 3,200. It sat for 90 days. There's only two quality inquiries. And then he decided to put it on the short-term market. Whereas this way, we're Crazy. doing it the other way around. So I'll, I'll let you know how that goes. I'm not confident that 
property management firms that I've spoken with, their vacancy rates like over 6% for their portfolio. So it's taking time. And again, this particular unit needs a renovation, but they're not willing to put in that kind of money just to earn an extra $200 a month kind of thing. So wow, that's really interesting. Holding out. So so people are waiting to see like, what's the results? What happens? What kind of money do I get from long term? Uh, The government, like what from midterm is what they're waiting for. So that's, that's the the direction. So about 55% of our occupancy in the last, I would say the last from about August forward has been long-term rentals, not long-term midterm. So these are people staying 30 days or more. These are executive rentals here for whatever reason. So there's some properties that just aren't as conducive to that. Like the, the really niched kind of kitschy Airbnb designed properties, the murals, the whatever, the themed properties, those ones are a lot harder to offer as midterm rentals because no one wants to stay in a quirky house for 90 days or whatever they need it for. They want something just a little bit more. They still want it Normal. nice, um, but just not so vibey, bright, your, and vibrant. In your face. Yeah, that's good for a week, good for two weeks, good for yeah. vacation. Fun for Instagram. Um, but maybe, yeah. Yep. Not yeah, that me. makes a lot of sense. So, so Dina, like looking forward here, I mean, obviously we've got a few more months to go before the rules take effect. And that next little bit, you've given us a little bit of insight into what some people might be doing going into that mid furnished range and so forth. Any, any insights or predictions into just generally speaking, how this year could play out? Do you, do you think that this, we got a year of just, it's going to be a wait and see, nothing happens a year of something else. Like what's on your mind? What do you think we see here? It's, I'm, it's buckle up. Like it's going to hurt either way, whatever direction you go. Do I think midterm rentals, it's a little bit riskier because there's, it's harder to puzzle piece, you know, reservations in to get that hundred percent occupancy. So I always say, if you are a nervous type, then just take that stable long-term know that you're subsidizing a thousand twelve hundred or whatever every month. You just know that you have to cover that difference or if you have, you know, some other properties that might be able to supplement a little bit, let's go midterm because you can get, a, you can get some significantly uh, great reservations going midterm. So it just depends on how you feel. Can do you need stability? Then go long term. If you want to, you know, go for gold, have the opportunity to get into your unit in between those reservations and still use it, you know, not play with the residential tenancy act, then I recommend midterm. So I think it's going to be rough. I don't think anyone's cash flowing anytime soon. Honestly, I don't recommend do, you know, going against the province illegally. I have no idea what the enforcement looks like. I've heard a lot of people say that, like, how can they enforce this? I don't want to find out as an operator the fine to me as someone who's going to advertise your property has not been defined yet, but it could be very significant. And then for an owner, the fine is $3,000 a day. So all you, and the confusion with the public, basically everyone in Kelowna thinks short-term rentals are banned. So even those 498 that are licensed, I'm sure will be reported by some neighbor for whatever reason. And it'll just be a headache all around trying to clear it up. So I, I just wouldn't even bother. I would just buckle up. I think Kelowna is a fantastic place to hold an investment. So if you can 
You know, there's multiple ways to earn on a property, not just cash flow on rent. So I'm assuming everyone listening knows that. And Cologne's fantastic market. So just hang in there if you can. I don't think you I think there is a there is a future. The the question mark is where and what does that look like and so forth. But I I, I would say that's uh, yeah some great insights. You know, pray, appreciate you going deep into that because again, so many people just it's it's unknown, unsure, don't know who they're talking to and so forth. And so there's been awesome information there. I'm gonna cap it because you gotta you gotta go and enjoy the rest of your day. Plus, more importantly, you got a trip to Mexico coming up mm-hmm. real quick. So I hope you go and enjoy the heck I'll try out of that. Not to we'll tell me when I take vacations. Right, right. We don't do. <laughs> that around here yeah we don't do that remember that yes absolutely always on instagram world but if you do want to check out uh, what dina's got going on it's uh, keys to Kelowna Mm -hmm. on instagram you can Mm -hmm. find her on there except for next week in which she's going to turn it off and enjoy swimming with manatees you can usually find her on there and she could probably help answer some questions about your rental or uh, you can inquire with her about some support thank you so much for popping on appreciate you Mm -hmm. and look forward to the next one Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. And just everyone, I'm keeping my units in Kelowna. So that's where I stand. <laughs> there we go. Awesome. Thank you, my friend. Hey, talk soon. That was an unreal episode of The Flow. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did on my side right here. If you haven't already done so, make sure to check out all of the incredible resources that we have available. You can find us on Instagram at Flow Mortgage Co. You can find us on our website, getflowmortgage.ca. And of course, don't forget our free first time homebuyer masterclass that's currently available on our website for anyone who listens to the episodes. And if you loved what you listened here today, the only thing that we ask for is to share this with someone else that you think this could help. And hey, maybe leave us a great review online.